Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. The thing about a marriage has been going as long as ours. Uh-huh. You've got your ups and downs. Uh-huh. Sometimes things go topsy-turvy. Uh-huh. And so today we're going to talk about Cedar Point. Okay. <laughs> cool. I love Cedar Point. Yeah? Yeah. Well, uh, if... You don't recognize the name. It's the name of two separate but intimately related things. Okay. First, an amusement park. Yes. The roller coaster capital of the world. Yeah, it's great. It's true. And also the peninsula it lands on, the the actual point that extends into Lake Erie Mm -hmm. uh, from Sandusky, Ohio, reaching out toward Canada. Canada. So we're going to start with that land and, and follow its history as it becomes America's roller coast. Okay. Like I say, it's it's a long, thin point. Uh, the You could be fooled into thinking it is an island. Yes, the, very, very much. The approach to the, the point proper is so thin. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, when you're, like, driving. Mm-hmm. Like, the roads you take in, like, you could very much be tricked thinking, oh, I'm just going over, like, a bridge. It's that narrow. Once you get toward the end, where, where it balloons out into usable space, mm-hmm. uh, it has this beautiful sandy beach. Yeah. And uh, it got its name because it was blanketed in cedar trees, naturally. Those aren't there anymore. <laughs> Not so much. Deforestation at a prime there. Now, the first thing that was built was a lighthouse. Yes! <laughs> I love lighthouses. The first lighthouse on Cedar Point was built in 1839 to mark that side of the entrance to Sandusky Bay. Uh-huh. Uh, Is it haunted? That house couldn't be haunted because it's not around anymore. It was replaced with a new one in 1862, uh, a more permanent stone structure with a light coming out of the roof. It's it's one of those really old-fashioned ones that isn't like the big conical tower, oh. but like a two-story house with a light box on top. Yeah. It's one of those. So this lighthouse developed and changed, and they had uh, uh, lights going out over the range. Uh, In 1910, one of those range lights burned down after a fireworks display uh, from a passing steamship set fire to it. And then it became haunted. (laughs) Because either someone was inside or a ship crashed. Well, the ship did eventually crash. That steamer was the Eastland? Yes! (laughs) Like, no joke. I had to double and triple check, like, you're sure. It's not a different Eastland. It is the same Eastland. The the Eastland had a life before it was doing what it was doing in the Chicago area. So, As many uh, boats did back then. So for for our... uh, Listeners that haven't plumbed the depths of the backlog, the the Eastland disaster was one of our first episodes, I think, like number two or number three. Yeah. Not too long after this this fireworks accident, it it was pressed into service, um, ferrying people around the Chicago area, Mm -hmm. where it capsized in the river and became the the deadliest boating accident in Great Lakes history. (laughs) Yeah. For more details, listen to that past episode. It's good. It's a good episode. (laughs) I'm very proud of it still. In 1924, the the whole lighthouse was replaced. Because it exploded. Did not explode. It was just replaced with a new electric light. uh, And the old house... uh, Burned down. Was used by the Coast Guard. Oh. 
as a buoy depot and then a radio beacon station and and then used for a long time as a search and rescue boat station. But even though it was disused for a while, the lighthouse still stands and it was bought by the amusement park in 1987 and restored to its historical appearance. After they stopped using it to shine a light, they took out the light box. Mm. Cedar Point put the light box back in. Ah. Uh, It is now the centerpiece of Lighthouse Point, an RV campground and and cabin complex for park visitors. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then let's get to people actually using the space for more than warning boats. Hey, there's a bay here. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, In 1848, uh, a man named Louis Zistel, uh, an immigrant from Germany, moved to Sandusky, Ohio. He moved back to Germany for a little while uh, to escape a cholera outbreak, but that's oh, that's okay. Cool. He, yeah, you know. uh, he and his scraggly 1800s beard were in the steamer business. Uh, he owned the first steam fishing tug in Sandusky Bay. Yeah. I mean, somebody had to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's very true. And one of his steamers was this little fella called the Young Reindeer. Yes. What a wonderful name. <laughs> And he needed a reason for people to, you know, ride on it. Mm-hmm. So he went out to Cedar Point and built a beer garden and a dance floor and a bathhouse and opened it for business in 1870. That's what you did in 1870. You, you bathed. Yeah, and danced and drank. Visitors were charged 25 cents to ride the young reindeer out to the point. <laughs> young reindeer. Going back to this 1970 season, Cedar Point is the second oldest amusement park in the U.S., uh, and it's about to start its 148th season. What is the oldest? It's somewhere in, I mean, East Coast, naturally. I think somewhere in Pennsylvania? Somewhere I had not heard of. Not Knobles. It's not Knobles. <laughs> so yeah, people came on down uh, to enjoy the beach, to camp, to picnic, and to listen to uh, the brass bands Zistel booked. Yeah. So in 1888, new management was in charge of the, the operations, and they opened the Grand Pavilion. Ooh. It had an auditorium, it had three bowling alleys, it had more places to buy food. That's how you get your money, concessions. Yes. Anybody in the business will tell you. Yes. Uh, By that time, there were over 16 bathhouses and at least five steamers serving the resort from various points uh, in Sandusky Bay. It's a lot. The Grand Pavilion still stands after a whole lot of additions and renovations. Uh, It's between the the Kitty Kingdom and the Planet Snoopy Kids area. It's right up front. Huh. What's it used for? Is It is a convention center. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I'm sure they use it for a lot of, like, tour groups and, mm-hmm. and corporate outing type stuff. Since its opening, it became the center of resort activity. So let's follow that for a few decades before we double back to the 1800s. Uh, it, it housed the Great Western Band, which was, like, the resident band of Cedar Point, along with all manner of traveling acts. And the auditorium was a popular place to hold conventions. Yeah. Including the 1925 uh, convention of the uh, International Lions Club. Rawr. <laughs> one of their invited speakers was one Helen Keller, speaking of past episodes. Uh. 
She was there representing the American Foundation for the Blind, encouraging them to adopt Helping the Blind as their major charitable work. Mm -hmm. That's why for the last 93 years, the Lions Club has been collecting people's old eyeglasses to donate to the needy. I've given them many a pairs of eyeglasses. (laughs) So anyway, meanwhile, back in the 1800s. Yes. Uh, the first roller coaster on the point went up in 1892, the Switchback Railway. Oh, man. The, the next bit of copy comes from Cedar Point's media page itself. I just like the way they word this. It stood an amazing 25 feet tall and reached an unbelievable top speed of 10 miles an hour. <gasps> oh, goodness. I don't, I don't think my, my wee heart can handle that. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> So yeah, you go up to this platform 25 feet high, mm-hmm. and you, you climb in the, the little wheelie cart on a track, and an attendant pushes you down the first hill, <laughs> and you go blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, you get out while the another attendant down there pulls the cart around the corner. Mm-hmm. You climb back in and get pushed down blah, 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 blah all the way back. <laughs> Then you get out and go on your way, but it's an attendant's job to, like, push it from the bottom up a ramp up to the top. Oh, my God. They didn't even have, like, a pulley system? No. You know, like, push it. This, this was a labor-intense attraction. And you know they only paid those people, like, a penny a day. <laughs> it operated until 1901. That's much longer than I thought it would have lasted, because I feel like their employees would have said, No. <laughs> So over the the 1890s, there were more improvements uh, around making the place just this perfect picnic spot, this lovely day in a secluded park out out on the lake. So we're talking about adding electricity, a water trapeze. What is a water trapeze? It's this big contraption out submerged in the lake, and you're swinging. It's kind of like a carnival swing ride. But it's also powered by people, and it's half submerged in the lake. Huh. So, like, as you're swinging around, your, your toes are kicking the, the white caps. Do you have to, like, swim out to it or something? Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's kind of cool. And then you just jump out and have a big splash, and that's how you get off the ride. That's that's neat. Uh, they, they put a pony track on the beach. They had some bicycle boats. <laughs> bicycle boats. And then in 1897, the resort and peninsula were bought by the Cedar Point Pleasure Resort Company. Oh my. Headed by one George Beckling uh, for over a quarter million dollars, 256000 That's That's a lot of money back then. Yeah. Now, Beckling was not in the resort business. He was a railroad man. Hmm. So he, his interest in this was pretty much exactly like Zistel before him. Train tickets. He needed people to buy excursion train fares. Gotcha. So he saw this pleasant picnic ground and beach and knew how to make it really generate a profit. You give more people to do, so they stay longer. Longer stays means more concession sales, means hotel stays, amusement tickets, bathing suit rentals. He, he started letting people rent bathing suits from these giant bathhouses. That's not hygienic. <laughs> well, you're getting washed out in Lake Erie of all places. <laughs> Not hygienic. Uh, his goal was to make Cedar Point the Coney Island of the West. Yeah. 
So he immediately opens the Bayshore Hotel in 1889, then replaces it with the White House Hotel in 1901. The the Bayshore, as as soon as White House opened, the Bayshore just became boarding for, like, summer help. Yeah. Yeah. A second roller coaster, the three-way figure-eight roller toboggan. Ooh. Is that, like, the, the, one of those, like, gravity toboggan type things? No, it's just a word that popped up in roller coaster names at the time. Oh, okay. They will get one of those way later in this episode. Okay. It opened in 1902. It was the first roller coaster with a chain lift at Cedar Point. So from here on out, we we aren't breaking our workers' backs, I guess. That's good. That's good. Uh, It was followed by an opera house, uh, and he dredged out a bunch of lagoons to let guests sail around in. And also improved drainage so that the bugs were under control. Yeah, because, you know, it's it's a swamp. Mm-hmm. Also, they, they were used for, like, utility stuff to, to sail goods inland farther so you didn't have to, like, load them up on a cart. The, yeah. the lagoons were very useful. Multi-use lagoons. Yeah. Uh, and he started booking the best music lineup of any summer resort, according to uh, local and regional newspapers, at least. Yeah. And who's to say they're wrong? You know, somebody had to have the best lineup. It's true. And of course, a midway. It finally looks like a a recognizable amusement park. Mm -hmm. And you're going to need a midway if you want to be the Coney Island of anywhere. This is true. That's true. So in 1905, Beckling's third and greatest hotel opened, the Hotel Breakers, with 600 guest rooms, each of which had running water. That's a rarity at the time. For 1905, yeah. Yeah. A hundred of them had their own private baths. Now that's just unheard of. Yeah. This was a luxury resort. Yeah. You could tell when you walked in and saw the Tiffany chandeliers and the Tiffany stained glass windows (laughs) and the pressed tin roof and the Japanese uh, uh, writing room. Oh my goodness. And the signature uh, feature, a four-story rotunda. Uh, the Metropolitan Opera would, you know, crisscross the country on tours, and they liked to stay in the breakers whenever they were in town. Mm-hmm. And so they would gather around the, those four balconies in the rotunda and perform, like, impromptu numbers for hotel guests. <laughs> it's a good sounding ho- uh, rotunda, I guess. Yeah. Now, the Hotel Breakers still stands and had a complete refurbishment in 2015. It's pretty swanky. That would be so weird to stay at to go to Cedar Point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's the the refurbishment did uh, change enough that they lost their historical landmark designation. Oh, that's sad. But it does mean they're much nicer rooms <laughs> and yeah. you no know, ADA compliant and all that business. That is true. That's just got to be so weird though, because like Cedar Point has always been like. A day trip, or you stay at the Motel 8, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. you pitch a tent in the campground. Right. RV by the lighthouse. Whatever. Yeah. Like, like you'd, you'd pass the, like, big, like, ho- like the Great Wolf Lodge Hotel with the water park outside of it type thing <laughs> as you go in, and you're like, Psh, not staying there. <laughs> <laughs> but this whole time, there's been a pretty sweet hotel, and now even sweeter, brand, brand new year yeah. than ever. 
The next big addition was the Coliseum. It opened in 1906 uh, with restaurants, beer gardens, and a skating rink on the first floor. And the top floor was entirely a 45,000 square foot ballroom. Dang. It was huge. Dang. In 1939, the ballroom was redesigned to become this Art Deco palace. It was gorgeous. Mm. And this redecoration, uh, followed by the the last-ditch effort to book whatever big band they could find and scrape together the cash for, is what kept the Depression from shuttering Cedar Point. Oh, wow. It currently houses the main arcade, once the largest arcade in the world. That's right. This building is still open and, and in use, too. I've been in there. Yeah, it's, it's... It's crazy. Right near the front with these big yeah. couples on top. Yeah. It's a very distinct-looking building. You cannot miss it. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like the main path in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Grand Pavilion does not look how it did when it opened, but the Coliseum sure does. From the outside. And even the inside still has, uh, if you go up to the second floor, it, it still has some of that 1939 Art Deco decor. Mm-hmm. It is rumored to be haunted. Naturally. What happened? <laughs> Why? Because it's been open more than 100 years. How'd, people don't need a reason. How'd people die? I found no records Pac-Man of people actually dying. Yes. Some, someone was crushed. It was a real-life space invader. Uh, yeah. But no, there there's reports of like ghostly dancers being seen from the windows at night mm. up in the, the haunted ballroom. So we come back to 1907. One of those Tiffany chandeliers fell. <laughs> or no, that was, that that was, was in the, the hotel. hotel. Yeah. 1907 brings us back to uh, the, our guest spot with the Eastland. That's when that, that Cursed Steamer began bringing guests directly from Cleveland. It was the first time park visitors could arrive from outside Sandusky. Mm-hmm. So uh, Cleveland first, followed by Toledo, Detroit. There, there was a huge fleet of steamers coming from all points to mm-hmm. get to Cedar Point. The Scenic Railway opened in 1908. This was a third roller coaster. Oh. Uh, the first uh, that people today might want to ride. <laughs> uh the one with the tongue twister name, not really that great of an experience either. But the Scenic Railway had over 4,000 feet of track. It got up to 60 miles an hour. Oh, re- dang. Reportedly. And, and it was quite scenic. It wound through the trees. It went over the lagoons. Ten cents a ride. Nice. Uh, that same year added the Oriental Pagoda-style check rooms and restrooms. One of which still stands and is now the the frame for the Pagoda gift shop. It's it's right by the uh, the Coliseum. Oh, the administration building from this era is also around and is used as a haunted house for Halloween weekends. <laughs> you can tour Beckling's office, who still haunts these walls. Oh. Did he die there? He did not. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be very unhappy with all these ghost haunting things in this episode, aren't I? The uh, uh, ballroom one, I think, is the only organic one that people actually believe. Okay. Like, this one is just it's to sell the haunted house for yeah. Halloween weekends. Yeah. That's just the framing of the haunted house they built in there. Do they actually... So I assume it's, like, one of those haunted houses that's very typical with, like, all the people jumping out at you and gross and all that. I really hope they just have, like... Someone dressed as this dude, like sitting in his office. I think as a so. Ghost. I think they have like a gruesome Beckling. Just like, 
hello, <laughs> I'm doing taxes now. <laughs> but th- those are some of the, the big landmark improvements from uh, Beckling's early years. But he was just focused on making the park the best it could, including, you know, landscaping, beautification, uh, clearing out some of the thick forests and replacing them with, with tended gardens. He bought some metal statues from the 1904 Louisiana Purchase Exhibition <laughs> just to spice up the flower beds. And guess what? They're still there, too. What? Yes. This episode is full of callbacks. We've how, been building did, up to this episode for so long. How did I not come across that in my fair research? In 1910, Cedar Point set uh, perhaps its first record. Mm. When it was the destination for Glenn Curtis's 63-mile flight, the longest uh, flight over water. Oh. He left another amusement park and landed in Cedar Point and broke the the world flight over water record. Nice. And he landed right in front of the world's largest bathhouse, (laughs) which opened that year. They were renting a lot of swimsuits. Yeah. Uh, in 1912, another roller coaster opened to leap the dips. Cedar Point now has three. And 1914, the point was connected Shouldn't to the mainland by a road for the first time. Shouldn't that be four? Uh, Switchback Railway had closed by this oh, point. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they, there was no way to get there that wasn't boat or train or anything before You couldn't get there by the train either. You had oh. to take a train to a boat. To a boat. You could this only get there by boat. This is the first non-boat access. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Around this point, Beckling's rapid expansion ended with steady improvements instead of major developments or radical changes. Something new for people to keep coming out every year, but nothing quite as, you know, bold as a 600-room luxury hotel or the world's largest bathhouse. Yeah. Which makes sense because this was around when the park started to hit some hard times. World War I was rough. Yeah. Uh, It put an end to excursion trains. Mm-hmm. So that's just, you know, starving the, the non-local uh, uh, visitor base, I guess. And coal shortages reduced steamer service. Mm-hmm. After the war, you know, those let up, but then you had prohibition. So who wants to go to a beer garden? Where there's no beer. Exactly. And what's the fun of going to, to a concert when, you know, there's just a soda jerk? <laughs> And he's I don't a know. Real we jerk. go to a lot of concerts That's and true. do not drink there. The prices um, are ridiculous. 1924 was an especially rough season because of the tornado that wrecked the Cedar Point boat dock in Sandusky Ooh, Bay. That's not good. Uh, the, the steamer was away and, and it didn't touch the park at all, but like one of the main points of park access we, we had, had to be rebuilt. Yeah. But even so, the Cyclone opened in 1929. Uh, when it came out, it was billed as specifically built for speed, thrills, and safety. <laughs> However, was it safe? Well, <laughs> according to roller coaster historians, which are a thing, that's a job you can have, uh, it is possibly the roughest roller coaster <laughs> in history. This one broke bones. What? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It lasted until 1951. What? It spent almost 10 years as the only roller coaster at Cedar Point. It outlived all the previous ones. Oh my god, and it broke bones. Yes. I mean, not every time. <laughs> Once is too much. No, I think instead, we... they just had like bruised spines yeah. and, and whiplash. 
But, of course, uh, things would get even worse when the Depression began in 1929 and, and Beckling died in 1931. Mm-hmm. Tourism as a whole dropped off, but then they, they lost their figurehead. Yeah. But, yeah, as mentioned earlier, they as they were plodding along, they had one last-ditch ride-or-die effort with uh, the 1939 Art Deco renovation, and it worked. Uh, those concerts were broadcast nationally on NBC radio. Oh, wow. So that brings us to the, the end of the Beckling era and the post-Beckling Dark Ages. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about uh, how Cedar Point bridged the gap into becoming a modern amusement park. Lots of roller coasters. So many. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Hello. So when we last left off, uh, Cedar Point was trying to be the Coney Island of the mid uh, of the West. Uh huh. So you've got a midway full of like fun houses and and oddities. There's a traveling animal show that actually came from Coney Island, but mostly people are there for you know the beach. Yeah. And while there's a few rides. It's not like it set the world record for most rides in a single amusement park. Yeah. Yet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to 1946, where we find the first acquisition that a a visitor today would recognize, the Midway Carousel. Oh. The oldest currently operating ride in the park. Oh. It was even older than that. It was built in 1912. Makes sense. Uh, and now has been serving uh, uh, the Midway. Where where was it before? I don't know that. Which is weird because like carousel historians are a, a they're they are intense. They're a dedicated bunch. Yeah, <laughs> it's bopped around the Midway, getting displaced for other rides, but it's always been near the front mm-hmm. ever since 1946. Yeah. And so, yeah, these post-war visitors kept the lights on a bit longer, but America was car country now. Yes. And steamer service ended. Aww. The the last steamer was retired. It was named the G.A. Beckling. Of course. Of course it was. Uh, The Cyclone also closed in 1951, and Cedar Point had no roller coasters for the first time in 70 or so years. What? There was a period where there were no roller coasters on that point. I don't like that. (laughs) With these changes, you know, all these decades since the glory years, Cedar Point mostly just served Sandusky uh, and surrounding area folks. And there was a sense that, like, let's enjoy it because it ain't going to be around much longer. Mm -hmm. And in 1957, people's fears were confirmed when news broke that a group of real estate investors bought the peninsula in order to tear it all down and build some lakeside houses. Whack them. (laughs) Now, the park's lease didn't end until 1959, so they found themselves accidentally, temporarily, in the the amusement park business. Uh Uh-huh. It just keeps happening. Just, Just happens, you know. So they figure, well, might as well try to make a buck in the meantime, right? Let it go out with a bang. So it's not just a giant liability draining our pockets until we can do what we want to do with it. So they built a marina, also useful for their housing development. Yeah. Expanded the midway. They added a monorail ride. Like like a monorail or just like 
you, a train. You were in tra- enclosed train cars that uh, were suspended from one rail. It was in every literal sense of monorail. Okay. It looked janky as heck. <laughs> that, it, yeah, you know, that makes sense. <laughs> Over this, like, probationary period, there was huge local outcry. They did turn a pretty good profit after the, this first year's investment. And, you know, Disneyland is still doing pretty good. <laughs> So they decided, why don't we just make family fun the thing we do? Because there might be a better future in it. Yeah. So their plan uh, after 1959 was to, to just keep on keeping on and make it the Disneyland of the Midwest. Nice. I love this topic because you can see these echoes. Yeah. It's, it's very cyclical. <laughs> so they announced $16 million in new investment starting in 1960 for the 90th anniversary season. <laughs> So over the next 10 years, a bunch of rides that are still operating were installed. The Sky Ride, which is, you know, the gondolas that go over the midway. Yeah. The Railroad, the other two carousels that are still there. Oh, yeah. They have a lot of carousels. All three of them are historical landmarks. Nice. Uh, Cedar Downs uh, is a racing carousel, one of only two racing carousels in the country. I love that one. It's so good. It's so much fun. It's like fester. Yeah. It's great. (laughs) Uh, The antique car ride. Yep. Yeah. And breaking the coasterless streak, the blue streak in 1964, after 13 coaster-free years. It is the oldest still operating roller coaster in the park. If I remember correctly, that is the one that made my back hurt. Was it kind of short there and back? Or was it a big one? Well, Ge- Gemini is the really big one. Wasn't it? When you went, Mean Streak was the really big one. Gemini was the middle. It's either, it might have been Mean Streak, actually. We'll get to Mean Streak. Okay, yeah. I think it's that one, actually. <laughs> that one, like, we all walked off in pain. That sounds like Mean Streak. Yeah. Uh, but the Blue Streak, despite being, to, to some sensibilities, an antique has still been in Amusement Today's top 50 wooden roller coasters for the last 17 years straight. (laughs) It's an oldie but a goodie, according to Amusement Today Golden Ticket voters. Uh, The Cedar Creek Mine Ride opened in 1969 and is the oldest steel coaster in the park, also still operating. It was one of the first tubular steel track coasters ever, uh, after the technology was invented for the Matterhorn bobsleds at Uh... Disneyland. If you want to be the Disneyland of the Midwest, get their ride engineers. Yeah. Yeah. In 1965, we saw the opening of Jungle Larry's African Safari. <laughs> Did we now? Well, not me personally. I wasn't born yet. No, I mean, like, did they? Jungle Larry. Uh, apparently... Tell me about Jungle Larry. All right. Well, uh, Jungle Larry and uh, Safari Jane <laughs> were, by this point, a married couple, Larry and Jane Tetzlaff. Mm-hmm. And they uh, had a traveling animal show that was shown at at, uh, amusement parks and tourist areas around the Ohio area. Yeah. And eventually they hit the big time and got the invite to Cedar Point. Ah. And so they had live animals that they would show. Uh, We're we're talking about, like, zebras and elands, uh, uh, the occasional elephant, leopards, kangaroos, tigers, some wolves. Yeah. Out there on the islands made by those dredged out lagoon dredgers. 
Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so, like, at the beginning and the end of the season, if it was, you know, one of those lucky elephant years, there would be an elephant on a raft. <laughs> this lasted 30 years until 1994. <sighs> which is okay. 10 years after Jungle Larry's death. Jane and the kids carried on without him. Okay, you said till 1994. 1994. You would have visited while it was still open. Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? There might be, like, pictures. Towards the end, uh, they were using the, the money they were getting from this show to buy land and build their own home park in Florida for the off-seasons to take care of the animals. And that is where uh, Jungle Larry's African Safari still survives. Oh, my God. It depends on what animal you're talking about, you know, their lifespan. There might be so, some animals some. in their show today that were around, yeah. Yeah. but much younger, at Cedar Point. Yeah. That's <laughs> crazy. What What is there now? Dinosaurs Alive. A walkthrough uh, uh, upcharge attraction with 50 animatronic dinosaurs. Also, some of Millennium Force goes over that island. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this new management kept roughly the same strategy that Beckling had. Every year, something new. Mm -hmm. Something to, to slap on a flyer, something to get the, the locals out again, something. and something to get people from Toledo and Pennsylvania and Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that just meant an expanded parking lot, but there was always a constant improvement. Uh, even beginning real theming uh, in 1968 with the opening of Frontier Town. Frontier Town was basically the back half of the park. Okay. And it included a, a replica of Fort Sandusky, the colonial fort that became the town, etc. Mm -hmm. uh, a refrain that is played so many times in the American Midwest. Yes. And also the... Uh, Founding of the live events department for shows and entertainment. Yeah. Like, they, they clearly had that, that Disneyland goal. Yes. So that brings us to 1970, the centennial season. Seven <laughs> new attractions. Yeah. A new kids area. They built an aquarium on the beach. Oh. And a brand new theater. Mm -hmm. The aquarium is now where uh, the the entrance to the wind seekers swing ride is and, oh. and the, a, a big theater is where the aquarium used to be it lasted until the 90s okay yeah but the, this park had been built and developed and grown into such a success that the company was running out of ways to grow they, they needed to expand and improve the park and just adding more fairground rides adding more theming was not going to deliver the kind of growth they were after. Uh-huh. So they split on two uh, uh, branches. First, expanding into a, a multi-park conglomerate. Okay. And second, going for the record books. Mm. So in 1978, Cedar Point bought the Valley Fair Amusement Park in Shakopee, Minnesota, which is why the, the company is known as Cedar Fair. They, they smooshed the parks together. They smooshed the names together. Ah. There you go. But back at home, they began breaking roller coaster records with Corkscrew in 1976. Mm -hmm. With this red, white, and blue proud bicentennial paint job. Yeah. The first roller coaster with three inversions. I've been on that. And just like a week or two away from being the first roller coaster with a vertical loop. Oh. It, it was a big year for coasters. Yeah. So let's uh, 
Zoom back out to the macro to talk about Cedar Fair expanding. Okay. They plugged along with just the two parks for a while, but, you know, tourism really picked up in the 90s. And so Cedar Fair was flush with cash to acquire some more parks. Mm -hmm. Starting in 1992, Dorney Park in Allentown, Pennsylvania, another park that started as an 1800s picnic ground, followed the same sort of evolution. 1995, Worlds of Fun in Kansas City, Missouri. 1997, a big one, Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park, California. Yeah, that was a big one. The world's first theme park, if you ask them. There's a real, like, heavy debate between uh, Knott's Berry Farm and Disneyland for first theme park. This also marked Cedar Point's first year-round park. Ah, yeah. Because of climate. Because of climate, yeah. It's big, big, big problem in the, the Midwest. I mean, one thing we haven't mentioned directly is that sort of an advantage of being a seasonal park, being closed six or more months out of the year, mm-hmm. whenever they have one of these expansions or or additions, developments, it's just there. Yeah. You, as as not, far as visitors know. For the most part, you will probably not be seeing much development. Mm-hmm. Maybe if, if you go for if like if a Halloween weekend or whatever. Right, or if it's a multi-year development, mm-hmm. something really big. But quite often... It does just seem like it pops up all of a sudden. Right. And also because there aren't people walking around in the park, they can do things that integrate the infrastructure of the park. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, Corkscrew goes basically right over the midway. Yeah. If you were to do that in a year-round park, you'd have to close your main walkway yeah. for as long as it took to build it. That's that's nonsense. That That is one thing that is beautiful about Cedar Point is how the roller coasters – spread across the park mm-hmm. and spread over things and spread and into things, things and through things and as you said stuff they could not do the the best example skipping way ahead got to be gatekeeper right yeah they built a gate so that they could put a, a roller coaster through it yeah so <laughs> like, like when you enter the park you must walk under this roller coaster it's it's incredible <laughs> incredible integration now, Knott's Berry Farm had a long-standing relationship with the Peanuts brand, and that came too. So now, all Cedar Fair parks have a Planet Snoopy kids area. Mm. Cedar Point has a Kitty Kingdom, a Planet Snoopy, and a Camp Snoopy. And a Camp Snoopy. And, you know, you'll see, like, Peanuts face characters. You'll yeah. see a seven-foot-tall Linus, because that's not creepy or weird. Uh, <laughs> This replaced Cedar Point's earlier kids-themed area, the Berenstein Bear Campground. It makes me really sad, though. I love, I love, love, love the Berenstein Bear books. Yeah. And I remember the Berenstein Bear-themed area. Berenstein Bears are better than Peanuts. Yeah. Yeah. So in the new millennium, they didn't stop gobbling up parks. The tourism industry got a little shaky. There was, after this big... Uh, expansion in the 90s, the con- the post-9-11 contraction sort of like scared some of those new investors out of the game. Yeah. Which left some properties prime for the picking. They're like, well, we'll just get that one too. So 2004, uh, Gioga Lake in Aurora, Ohio, one of their nearest competitors, was bought off of Six Flags. Oh. And they also bought the former SeaWorld, Ohio, which is on the other side of the lake, and they both now sit closed and abandoned with the land up for sale. <laughs> was not a success on, on that oh, one. I did go to that SeaWorld once. 
I went to the Six Flags. It might have not been a Six Flags yet when I went. Yeah. But I, I only went to the one side. I, I didn't go to the Six Flags ever. Or no, I think I, we went I, to both sides. I think we went, to, yeah. I had never been to a Six Flags until we went to the one here in Illinois mm-hmm. um, a few years ago. Yeah. I'd never been to one before. But yeah, that SeaWorld, I, it was like a Girl Scout mm-hmm. discount day. So we drove down. But then the big one, 2006, Cedar Fair bought the entire U.S. Paramount Parks portfolio. Oh. You might be surprised to learn that Paramount Studios owned a lot of amusement and theme parks yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, do I know what those would be? Have you heard of King's Island? Yeah. King's Dominion? Yeah. Yeah, and four others. So, yeah, six amusement parks, five water parks that all happen to be attached to those amusement parks, and the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas. Is that still there? No, it is not. Oh, because I was like, I went to Vegas, and I did not hear about this being there. The other things are still open, and they are their Cedar Fair parks. Okay. Yeah, quite a bit of their holdings just came from one day in 2006. They bought that in 2006. Bought up a whole chain. It closed very shortly after then. The Star Trek experience. I think so. By the time they bought it, it was really run down and kind of garbo. If I would have known, though, I would have been like, going there. <laughs> so b- back to the micro, back to the park. Okay. Let's let's do a rundown of some of the building post, post-corkscrew. Okay, let's do it. 1978, Gemini comes out. The tallest, fastest, and steepest coaster in the world at the time, or so they said. All three of those records were contested oh. uh, at the time. It is a wooden racing coaster. It's a record-breaking, mm-hmm. uh, for its period at least, wooden roller coaster that ran runs a blue car and a red car at the same time, yeah. side by side. That's the one that I was telling you that I went on, mm-hmm. and uh, the lap bar didn't hit me. So <laughs> the like adult I was riding with when I was like six or whatever had to like hold me in. Because <laughs> that's safe, you know. The next year, right next door, they opened a roller coaster called Junior Gemini. It is now known as the Wilderness Run. Mm-hmm. It's a kiddie coaster, not a record breaker by any stretch, but it is the first coaster ever made by Intamin, one of the top manufacturers today. We mentioned Millennium Force earlier. They made that. Ah. And their first coaster ever was Junior Gemini, <laughs> this little kiddie coaster. Yeah, I've been on that as well. 1989. Avalanche Run opened. It debuted as dun, 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 a bobsled coaster. Oh. The only one in the Midwest when it opened. A bobsled coaster, if you didn't listen to Knobles or if we didn't explain it that yeah. well. It sort of looks like a uh, water slide, basically. But you're in a roller coaster type vehicle with wheels on the bottom. And gravity pulls you down and you go up the sta- banked curves yes. and weave around. The problem with building that on a place like Cedar Point is beach sand is constantly being blown into it, so it was down for maintenance a lot. Mm. Bobsled roller coasters are very long lines, mm-hmm. very slow loading, very precise. This needs to happen. <laughs> so it reopened the very next year as Disaster Transport. The big change was they built a building around it. <laughs> ha! That's super smart. Making it uh, Cedar Point's only, and only ever, indoor roller coaster. Nice. 
they didn't just put a show building around it. They, they put a show in it. It was given a space theme. It had animatronics. There was a story and special effects. And, and you went through like a, around a wrecked spaceship. I don't know if I've ever been on that. Now, the thing is, the the story was confusing and not told very well. And the the effects broke down a lot and they decided to just leave them instead of fix them. Yeah. So you never really got what they were going for. <laughs> sounds, sounds great. It was demolished in 2012. <laughs> Which means I should have gone on it. I had a couple opportunities and I do not remember this ride existing. If you see any post-1990, pre-2012 pictures or video that has like a beige building with a big 12 E on the side. Mm -hmm. That's this show building. That's because it was the 12th uh, ride designed by this guy, Eric, who worked <laughs> for the company. Uh, 1987 Iron Dragon. Yes. An inverted steel coaster that swings over the lagoons that Beckling dug. That was my favorite. Yeah. My favorite roller coaster as a kid. Favorite ride. Mm -hmm. I keep saying Beckling, but like, you know, he hired a company. He, he yeah, hired he the Detroit Dredging Company, you know? Yeah, he wasn't doing it with a shovel himself. <laughs> now we're getting to the real business. 1989 Magnum XL200. The world's fastest, tallest, steepest, complete circuit roller coaster. The first to go over 200 feet. Mm -hmm. It was billed as the first hyper coaster. And it won Best Steel Roller Coaster three consecutive years. Goodness. This was the start of the Coaster Wars. Coaster Wars! Every park, and certainly every park company, needed to keep pushing the bar, keep opening the biggest, baddest thing. Magnum XL opens in, in uh, Cedar Point. Then Kings Island needs to do something because they didn't buy it yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Magic Mountain, or, or Six Flags Over Texas, needs needs to build something. Yeah. Yeah. 1991 brought us Mean Streak, the world's tallest, fastest, steepest wooden roller coaster with the longest drop. Yeah, that's definitely the one that hurt. It closed in 2016. It was known for being a shake you apart ride. Yeah. At, at least after the first few years. Yeah, it was It was 2005 was the last time I was there. I was with three other people and we all came off of it and we were just all like, uh, it's very I mean. think something's broken or bruised or <laughs> I'm also dizzy and nauseous now. I was watching a, a POV video, you know, a, a person holds a camcorder while they go on the ride. Mm -hmm. It looked like he was going to sprain his wrist. It was just <laughs> shaking so much. <laughs> Couldn't see a dang thing. Oh, but nobody misses that ride more than Mean Streak Henry. Did he die on it? He rode it 16,182 times. Oh, yeah. He definitely died. Yeah. He's a ghost. <laughs> uh, that's an average of 30 times a day what? if you want to crunch the numbers. He once rode- Like 30, 30 times in a whole year days? Or are you doing like summer season? He once rode 90 times in a day. Goodness. Uh, after the park closed on the final day of Hollow Weekends 2016, which is when- Usually there's like a staff-only party. Everybody gets to, to ride all the rides they want. Yeah. He was invited to come along, and he took the last ride on Mean Streak. Good for you, Mean Streak Henry. Good for you. How is your body still attached to itself? You know, he looks like he's seen better days, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. He's just been shaken. 
1993, uh, not a roller coaster, a log flume ride. Mm -hmm. However, the tallest, fastest, steepest (laughs) water flume ride in the world. It's good. 1994, Raptor, the tallest, fastest, (laughs) longest inverted roller coaster in the world. And first with a Cobra roll. I like Cobra rolls. They're good. Yeah. Pretzel loops are good too. Uh, Raptor's good. The difference between Iron Dragon inverted and Raptor inverted. Iron Dragon, you're in like a car that is suspended from the track above you. Raptor is, is the dangly feet kind of inverted. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, and like Iron Dragon's like pretty mild that too that it's, too it's, it's 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 definitely like it came out pre-coaster wars it's, it's a stepping stone for people to get used to roller coasters mm-hmm. so 1996 mantis the world's tallest mm-hmm. fastest longest stand-up roller coaster yes it closed in 2014 oh there are not many stand- we'll get back to that okay. that's true they are definitely out of style they they had a very short time frame where i feel like they were being built and then people were like and eh, nope nineteen ninety nine Woodstock Express. This is another kitty coaster, you might mm-hmm. guess from the name. But it still gets up to twenty five miles an hour, which is like a lot for a <laughs> kitty coaster. Yeah. And this is something else I had to check from at least two sources because I couldn't believe it. Single riders have to be at least forty eight inches tall to ride the kitty coaster. <laughs> so they have to be like twelve. Thirty six inches with an adult. Okay. So 48 inches, it's it's not like there are too many kids under it. But I just want to point out for comparison, that is also the height minimum for our next entry. Millennium Force <laughs> has the same height requirement as Woodstock Express. <laughs> and that is the world's tallest and fastest. Yes. Those are two of its six world records. Yeah. It was the first Giga Coaster. They invented another category for Millennium Force. The first to feature a cable lift, not a chain. Since it opened, it has been voted Best Steel Roller Coaster 10 times. Mm-hmm. On Amusement Today's Top 50 Steel list, it has never been lower than number two. It is It is a, a wonderful roller coaster. It's, it's real good, y'all. It's I, good. I do warn you to be careful of what clothing you are wearing, though, because there is a lot of force. Hey, ladies, no, no spaghetti straps on this one. <laughs> I had to to grab and hold. Grab and hold the shirt as we were going down. The picture they took is me holding my shirt up to, like, my neck because yeah. I felt it going. But it's a great ride. They followed that up with Wicked Twister in 2002, the world's tallest and fastest inverted coaster. It's another dangly feet one. Specifically, it's an impulse coaster, which is one, it's it's a U-shape. You go forward and fall mm-hmm. back until you fall up, and then you fall forward, down, and then up. And uh, unlike other layouts, this one twists on both ends yeah. instead of only twisting on the one end. It's good. There I you like go. it. The very next year, 2003, Top Thrill Dragster, world's tallest and fastest, fastest. roller coaster. I have not been out. I was there after that was built, but I did not go on t- on it because we were all scared. <laughs> this this is themed to drag racing. You just shoot out at a, an unconscionable speed. Yeah, there's like a traffic light, like you know, red, yeah. yellow, green, go. You, you go up, over, ninety degrees up, over the top, ninety degrees down, and that's it. And back into the station, and that's it. The the thing that blows my mind is that they they were so proud of the dragster theming, and they thought people would be so excited. 
for this roller coaster, they set up bleachers for people to watch it go by. Yeah. And people actually do. <laughs> it's like, amazing. I kind of get it. It's also, I mean, if you're, if you're not going on it, but you know people who are going on it, you might as well have a seat and relax because, I mean, the year I was there, that I, line. in addition to being scared, it was also a four-hour wait. And we were like, mm, no, no. no. So they, they took a few years off of building new coasters, came back in 07 with Maverick. Maverick set no world records on its own. No. Instead, they just focused on providing just a killer track layout with great elements. Mm-hmm. And it was voted best new ride in 2007. So it works, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Maverick's pretty cool. 2013, we mentioned it earlier, Gatekeeper. Oh, I want to ride it so bad. The tallest, fastest, longest wing coaster. This is a, a ride vehicle where there's people on the left side of the track and the right mm-hmm. uh, with the track in between you. And, and you're arranged like on a wing, yeah. basically. There, there's one of these at the Six Flags here in our, Illinois. Our home park, Six Flags Great America. And it is amazing i love x flight it's a really good ride it's first off like so incredibly like comfortable to Mm -hmm. ride and then it's also just great they also have like the best harness system on that (laughs) thing every roller coaster should have that harness system not if you like airtime it's just like a hug it's a warm cozy hug 2015 brought us rougarou now rougarou is just mantis Mm. It's Mantis's track with new paint, new theme, and new ride vehicles. Instead of a stand-up coaster, it's a floorless coaster. So dangly feet? Dangly feet, but the track is below you instead of above you. Oh, 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 ooh. Well, not directly below you. You're kind of off to the sides. I don't like this idea at all. Okay. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Like, how off to the sides are we talking? We can look at videos okay. and pictures. Okay, I- I need to know. 2016, the newest coaster that anybody's ridden on, at least, Val Raven, the world's tallest, fastest, <laughs> longest dive coaster. Oh. These are, are coasters that have wide cars, eight wide or ten wide, and they dangle you over the edge before you do the 90 degree drop that's what a dive coaster is i want to go on it but i don't but i do and the ride to come for this upcoming year 2018 steel vengeance this is a brand new coaster experience built on mean streak's support structure there's a company called a rocky mountain construction that does this it's like their specialty is refabbing and also using their refab techniques to design new coasters. Again, like Great America, they, they made Goliath. Yes, and Goliath is amazing. <laughs> uh, it's a wood-steel coaster. Yeah, a hybrid, they call hybrid, it. yeah. So, Steel Vengeance, when it opens, will be the world's tallest, steepest, <laughs> fastest, and longest hybrid coaster with the most inversions, the most airtime of any roller coaster. They're saying it will have 27 seconds of your butt coming up out of your seat <laughs> on a two and a half minute ride. That's like 20%. <laughs> They're calling it the first hybrid hyper coaster. Oh my gosh. So, I want to go and go on it. I've seen the, the... The POV renderings? Yeah. And I was making, like, weird noises at it. You were making it. some noises at it. That looks crazy. Let's talk about some park records, then. We've gone through individual records that their own rides have taken from one another, mm-hmm. with other coasters in between, naturally. So Cedar Point has the most coasters with a 90-degree or greater drop. Mm-hmm. Maverick goes beyond vertical on its drop, actually. 
the most coasters over 200 feet, something many parks don't even have one of. Yeah. Six Flags Great America, not even one. Yeah. The most rides in one park, and the most coaster track in one park. Not the most coasters. That goes to Magic Mountain uh, in California. Oh. Cedar Point used to have that one. I know that. They mm -hmm. don't anymore. They have six coasters in Amusement Today's latest top 50 steel coasters. Mm -hmm. It is pretty rare to get more than, you know, two. You have to be a real coaster-focused park to yeah. get two or more. They have six. They won Best Amusement Park in the World for 16 consecutive years. Yeah. And not to mention, you know, all these other attractions going around. You can see glass blowing there. Uh, they've got record-breaking flat rides like Power Tower, mm -hmm. uh, the, the tallest tower drop and tower launch ride, Skyhawk, the biggest swing ride. Mm -hmm. That's what made Cedar Point what it is today. That yeah. is the path they followed. Yeah. Beckling's strategy of keeping them there and uh, the 60s dream of, of a Midwest Disneyland are still alive. Yeah. Not so much as far as theming goes. Like, mm -hmm. um, the disaster that was disaster transport is the first and last time they tried to really theme an attraction. Outside of, like, Snoopy stuff. Outside of Snoopy stuff, I guess. The first and last time they tried to tell a story with an attraction, yeah. for sure. But doing more than just an amusement park, that aspect of, of doing the full resort experience, that is still there. So we mentioned Hotel Breakers and Lighthouse Point. Mm -hmm. There's also the Cedar Point Express Hotel. Uh, they say it's just a mile away, which I'm sure is true. Mm -hmm. But we're talking a mile to the gate, and then there's the whole causeway, and then the giant... Like, you're not going to walk to the park from, no, the, from no. Cedar Point Express Hotel. Don't lie to me. No. That's... No. But also Castaway Bay, their own indoor water park yes, with is, 200 guest rooms. That is a very uh, popular one. Mm -hmm. They operate two marinas, one up on the point and one right at uh, Castaway Bay. Mm -hmm. the, the Soak City Water Park opened in 1988 and is being yeah. renamed Cedar Point Shores for this, its 30th anniversary year. Oh, and the Cedar Point Sports Center is a new complex of fields and facilities for people to enjoy. And if you go to their website, they really want you to book a tournament there. Yeah. <laughs> and as always, the beach that started it all. Yeah. Still there, still lovely, still... Eerie. As far as lakes go. Yeah. So, darling, this, this is the time... Maybe there's the Lake Erie monster that I talked yeah. about around there. Maybe. Yeah. This, now now that I'm done, it's uh -huh. time for me to ask you a question. Yeah. Would you like to go for your birthday this year? Wait, what? You've been bugging me for what my <laughs> birthday idea is. This is it. Would you like to go for your birthday this year? Oh! It, it'll be a belated present. They belated. don't open yeah, until they May. They don't open for a while. They open in early May this year. Yeah. But yeah, that that's the that idea I've been cagey about. Oh, that would be pretty fun. I've been using this to uh, disguise my, my trip planning. Oh, you sneaky sneak. I've been doing a lot of research for, yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. Aw, that's so sweet. <laughs> and that sounds really fun. Okay. Yeah. Not at all what I was expecting. Okay, so the second question. What have you learned? <laughs> I've learned what my birthday is. <laughs> I, I have learned uh, a lot about how Cedar Point came to be. Mm -hmm. I always knew it was old. I did know that it started, like, as other, like, amusement parks have, as, like, a more of a picnic ground. Mm -hmm. But... Again, Knobles. Yes. 
but I didn't I did not know so much about yeah. uh that time frame and its development and also stuff like how it how it was able to last during the depression yeah. and last during this era and how it was able to keep going. Mhm. Yeah. I I guess I'll repeat myself from earlier. One thing that jumps out to me is how cyclical it is and how so many of the people in charge that did great things mm-hmm. didn't want to be there. Yeah. Specifically, like Zistel didn't plan to sell ice cream to picnickers. He just wanted to get people to ride his boats. Yeah. Be- Beckling just wanted people to ride his trains. Yeah. It, it's it's very funny how they like got into it. We're like, yeah. oh, okay. This the, is how I can make money. The, the 60s management just didn't want to lose cash while they waited until they could tear it down. And then like, oh, this is actually working this out really well. This is actually pretty good, yeah. We should just keep on this path. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cedar Fair's most recent, I think he did just retire, not current, but most recent uh, CEO was the former director of Disneyland mm-hmm. and Disney Cruise Lines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us. I had fun. And so we're going to take a quick break and be right back with some letters. Letters. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> Just going to cut all that out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot that was even recording. <laughs> Before we start, why don't we talk about our personal experiences with Cedar Point? Because Cedar Point was sort of our home park when we were teens. Yes. Not really. Like, our nearest amusement park would, would have been, like, Michigan's Adventure. Isn't Cedar Point technically closer? Depending on where in the state you are, it might be. Where in mm-hmm. southeast Michigan... I'm pretty sure Cedar Point was quick, like closer or quicker mm-hmm. to get to. And, you know, Michigan's Adventure also owned by Cedar Fair. Yes. Michigan Adventures, however, is not like... It's not record-breaking. It's not known for much. It's one big wood coaster that was a feather in its cap. Yeah. And still is. Yeah. Yeah, Cedar Point was... Yeah. I did it in a day once. Depends on who's driving. So I've been there at least once, like when I was really young, maybe six. Mm-hmm. I don't think I went another time as a kid, kid. Maybe I did. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But I know I was there during the Berenstain Bear days. <laughs> and then I was there when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And that was when I did it in a day trip. So we drove down. We went. I we went, drove back. I went twice. And I think both were different Boy Scout trips. Yeah. I know the second one was. So I, I went as a, a young teen or preteen and then like a mid-teen. Yeah. Yeah. So what are, what are your memories though? What are you, what are your feelings? My big one is the TV commercial for the Cedar Point Express bus line. Yeah. That it's is a fun the... way to a fun day. Yeah. Yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've talked about like already some of my favorite rides, mm-hmm. things I've done, even though I haven't been there a lot, the times I've gone it was great. And I, it was very much because we were so close to it and there was always new rides going on. I always wanted to go. Yes. Yeah, always. Like, even if you weren't going, you knew what was happening at Cedar Point that yeah. summer and you wanted to be involved with it. Yeah, I wanted to go to the power... So many commercials for Power Tower. Power Tower. Was, yeah. Oh, my gosh. They're always listing all these world records 
But I never realized that it was like the place, the number one amusement park. Cause For years I did think like when they would say, you know, roller coaster capital, I just think that's like a slogan they're giving yeah, themselves. Yeah. Not that, well, actually. I guess that's what happens when you live in Southeast Michigan, though. Anything that close to me can't be so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of here with how much they advertise Six Flags Great America. Mm -hmm. Which is great. It was. It's I like, didn't believe it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I was like, suburban Illinois? I don't know about this. <laughs> if it were so great, it'd be downtown and cost a million dollars to enter because of property taxes. <laughs> Instead, you can buy, like, a season pass for, like, 60 bucks. Great America's yeah. great. Cedar Point's better, from what I remember. Well, yeah, Cedar Point is definitely, like, the number one Cedar Fair Park. Unless you're down with, like, Knott's Berry Farm, I guess. Yeah. While Great America is, like, top five, maybe top three Six Flags parks. Yeah. What's always been very interesting with, like, Cedar Point is when you... Ha so you have places like Disney, mm -hmm. which is, like, that's a different type of place. Heavily themed, very story. Usually, like, multi-day event. Mm -hmm. Cedar Point, one to two days type thing like cedar point has more rides than the magic kingdom it does but it's it's such like a oh we're going this weekend this is what we're doing we're gonna drive over we're gonna mm -hmm. road trip for the day and then come back or we're gonna yeah, stay the night yeah, yeah. and do the water park the next day places like that are so ingrained in the summer culture mm -hmm. of the yes geographic area around it you know the the cans of coke or whatever you get have coupons for it <laughs> anyway with that let's let's get to your letters our prompt going into this episode was favorite roller coaster mm -hmm. which should have a pretty obvious impetus behind it by now yeah what's your favorite roller coaster oh my favorite thrill roller coaster for like the experience and the g's and mm -hmm. all that it's come down to either X-Flight or Superman at Great America, mm -hmm. which I know the latter is one you hate <laughs> with a passion. The Superman roller coaster can burn to the ground and never be seen again. You're not down with the flying coasters that when they that is, put you up on your belly that and you fly like Superman. Straight up panic inducing for me. Okay. <laughs> But my favorite for overall experience, I think, is Expedition Everest at Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My top favorite is definitely X-Flight. X-Flight, yeah. Second would be Goliath. It's amazing. I mean, if if the the plan is, I think you're going to have to to rearrange your list. I, I, think, I think they're going to be bumped by <laughs> some right. other ones. Now I remember Millennium Force. Yeah. Um, trying out Maverick, trying out Gatekeeper. Yes. Uh, but yes, for like experience coaster, it's definitely Everest. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Everest is amazing. You think you go upside down, but you don't. <laughs> <laughs> it tricks your brain. But that brings us to Lizzie. Lizzie's favorite 2017 thing, their trip to Chicago. Yeah. A uh, cross-country train trip out from Seattle. Oh, oh. That's really long. I'm glad we could keep you company uh, on your uh, train ride. That is dedication. And of course, the Field Museum and the Art Institute. I recommend both of them to anybody, especially the Art Institute. That is world class. Yeah. Louvre might be the only art museum that beats it. I'm serious. 
favorite activist is uh, her chosen sister, Vidya, who works on trans and POC issues, as well as organizing a graduate employee union. From the way Lizzie talks, I think that's the U Chicago graduate union, which just got formed in the past cool. year. So yeah, congratulations. And Lizzie's favorite roller coaster is the corkscrew at Vancouver's Playland, a few minutes down the road uh, from where she lives, actually. That's convenient. Uh, it is famous as the inciting incident of Final Destination 3. <laughs> <laughs> and with how many things film in and around Vancouver, like, Playland has to be seen in a lot of stuff, oh, right? Yeah. So thanks, Lizzie. Lord Smaff. Uh, sent us an email with favorite roller coaster being Space Mountain, but the one at Disneyland Paris that is uh, a steampunk version based on Jules Verne from the Earth to the Moon. It is also the only Space Mountain with an inversion. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Come on, <laughs> go on there. Thanks, Lord Smaff. Yeah, researching this episode, I fell into a deep coaster enthusiast <laughs> hole. Yeah. That I don't think my YouTube recommendations will ever be the same. <laughs> no. I've seen the glory of the Immelman loop, and I can tell it from a dive loop. <laughs> and I didn't think I'd ever reach that point in my life. Yeah. So Daniel writes in, as a longtime listener, first-time writer, thank you very much, Daniel, with a pair of prompts. Uh, first... Favorite serial killer, Ivan Millet, an Australian serial killer, perhaps from Melbourne. Oh. Yeah. Known for uh, murdering backpackers over the course of four years. And he liked to experiment. Uh, apparently the, the method of death was different, although some things were the same. I'm trying to stay vague. I'm, it's family show. Uh, <laughs> but there's a sequel, I guess. Uh, in 2010, at the age of 19, Ivan's great-nephew, Matthew, also murdered someone on the, the victim's 17th birthday in the same state forest where Ivan committed his own murders. So there you go. <laughs> Daniel's second favorite is uh, the fictional kind, uh, uh, Lottie from The Curse of Millhaven by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Lottie's a 14-year-old girl whose list of victims uh, enumerated over the song include a little boy on Christmas, a local handyman, an old woman, 20 little children, an indeterminate number of slum dwellers. So there you go. It's, it's from a whole album called Murder Ballads. <laughs> That's Nick Cave for you. And as for roller coasters... Uh, this one's also fictional. Apparently, Australia isn't too big on, on that sort of ride. Daniel's favorite is from the sketch show, Mr. Show, The Devastator, a 200-mile-an-hour, 15-story roller coaster with 90-degree turns and a section that lasts for two minutes underwater. It's soul-shattering. A state of emergency is declared when the Devastator keeps killing and maiming people. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that is based on some Cedar Point ads. <laughs> there is um a guy, I think he was from like Lithuania or something. I don't remember. But he designed like a roller coaster that would kill people. Like it was never built, but uh, like good. the whole design was like for people who want to end their life in oh. a great way. Yeah. There you can ride this roller coaster. Go out smiling or and screaming. 
but and in a good way, like a good kind of screaming. This giant drop, and then it was like loop after loop after loop after loop after loop. And the whole idea was that like the blood would drain from your head, so you'd feel euphoric. Ah. Oh. And then like the G force, mm-hmm. and everything would basically do you in. Coming soon to Six Flags <laughs> New England. Anyway, that's something I I know. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, Porin sent us a favorite roller coaster, which is the Battlestar Galactica Dueling Roller Coaster in Universal Singapore. Uh, this is a two-track roller coaster representing the human versus Cylon people. Machines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was just, I didn't know how to say that. Uh, representing humans and Cylons, and they intertwine, appearing to, like, ride onto one and then the other, and then, like, breaking away um, as though it's, like, combat. Yeah. Like fighting each other. Like the the fighter jets in space. Yeah. 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 So I, I looked this up because I was curious, and I like this quite a bit, because most dueling coasters, they're the same kind of thing side by side on similar track. Yeah. More of a racing thing. Or, you know, the same thing, just intertwined or whatever. But this one, it's two completely separate styles of roller coaster. Which is really cool. The the human side is in a traditional sit-down car, mm-hmm. and it's faster and steeper. But the Cylon side is a dangly feet inverted coaster that has, like, eight inversions or something. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, Perrin. Uh, that's all the letters we had that's today. That's all the letters we got. I guess uh, Purin did take me to task a little bit for being very similar to an earlier one, Favorite Amusement Park Ride. Oh, that's true. I thought it was distinct enough, but... Sometimes I also forget what our prompts in the past are. <laughs> I'm going to be really honest about that. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I don't remember and I don't look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but if you would like to send us an email uh, to, to share a story or a show suggestion or... or we, we got a video for of, of Phineas, in, Phineas in this episode's mailbag. Uh, so, yeah, pet pictures always welcome. Where can those go? Let's go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Darling, do we have a prompt for next week? Okay, because the episode's coming out right before my birthday. And you oh. know that my, my birthday dessert of choice is pie. Yes. So I want to know what people's favorite type of pie is. All right. So- it has nothing to do with the episode I'm writing. Be forewarned, <laughs> it is not like the history of, of flaky crust or anything, though there probably I don't, is If some... you have like a favorite pie recipe, like send that, let me know, and I mm-hmm. can like try out pies in the future. So again, anything you might like to be read on the air, including our prompt, favorite pie, <laughs> happy birthday, dear, uh, those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Pictures of animals also welcome for my birthday uh you can also follow us on twitter on facebook on instagram and those are all at history honeys Mm -hmm. and while you're out there uh something we'd really appreciate is giving us a rating and review on apple Podcasts or stitcher or wherever else you find us it helps a lot and we do appreciate every last one Mm -hmm. you can also tell a friend if if you live in a warm climate and you're going to an amusement park this weekend, you're going to have to stand in a lot of lines. And it's true. a great way to make conversation with people around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth does a lot. <laughs> so some, some quick plugs. This is coming out on Tuesday. And if everything is, is still hunky-dory, 
This very evening, I'll be uh, streaming live on Twitch with Roll20, demonstrating uh, their new Breakfast Cult module. That That's going to be tabletop roleplay in the Fate system, where we all play uh, teens in a cosmic horror setting with a lot of anime influence. Oh, yeah. Whoever thought you'd live to see the day I string all those words together about myself. Yeah. <laughs> but that's going to be great. And also coming out soon is the latest episode of Pat Trek uh, that I guested on. And we talk about the episode Galaxy's Child. Uh, mm-hmm. For all you Next Generation fans, yes, that's the one where Leah Brahms, the real one, comes to the ship. And Jordy has to contend with his memories of Leah Brahms, the, the holodeck person he made. Yeah. It's real messed up. Sex Archie will come back soon. Sex Archie's coming back soon. <laughs> yep. That's that's all I got. <laughs> that's right. A week from tomorrow, uh, Riverdale's back on the air, and so you'll be having regular weekly Sex Archies again. It's very exciting. Very exciting. So with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.